BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California voters will be presented with at least two industry-backed ballot measures in November that would undo state laws passed by the legislature last year, one that gave fast food workers more say over their pay and working conditions, and another that banned new oil drilling projects near homes and schools. The referendum, part of California's direct democracy system, is popular with voters, according to a recent PPIC poll, But critics say it's become more of a tool for corporations to stall and reverse state laws they don't like. An initial attempt to reform the referendum process now sits on Governor Newsom's desk. We'll learn more about it after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A bill on Governor Gavin Newsom's desk, AB 421, would change some of the standard language for a state referendum on the ballot with the aim of making it easier and clearer for voters in California to understand. But the final legislation is far more modest than its original version, which would have mandated more disclosures about the funders of referendum campaigns and strengthened government oversight of signature collection. This hour, we'll learn more about the bill, check in on the measures that have already qualified for the 2024 ballot, and hear what you'd like to change about our state's referendum process. Joining me first is co-author of AB 421, Assemblymember Mia Bonta. Assemblymember, welcome to Forum. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. So tell us about 421. What would it do? So obviously we know that the referendum process is a very unique part of our democratic system. It's our opportunity for voters to be able to weigh in on the actions of the legislature. AB 421, which was authored by uh, chair of elections at the time and now majority leader Isaac Bryan, I'm co-author, essentially does three things. First, uh, starting in 2025, it ensures that the voter information guide will clearly list the referendum proponents, which gets at whether or not uh, who has special interest in in, and financial interest in a particular referendum. Second, instead of saying yes or no, which can often be a a very confusing question with a poorly worded referenda language, uh, allows for voters to be asked whether or not they want to keep the law or overturn the law, making it very clear whether they're Uh, confirming and asserting that they want to ensure that the law in place stays that way or if they want to overturn that law, which sends a very clear 
message for a voter who's trying to go through many uh, referendum and measures at one time. And thirdly, it authorizes the ability to withdraw a proposed measure. This is very critical because it allows parties who uh, often go to go, go to the last mile as they're trying to figure out the best way to proceed on any particular issue, an opportunity to uh, peel back the, the action of putting forward something in front of voters uh, if they're able to come to a better agreement around a particular area. So why are these changes needed? Why is it important to eliminate the yes-no language and essentially say keep or affirm a law that it's important to be able to have the sponsors of a referendum measure listed in the ballot guide and to be able to withdraw it? Why, why do we need to have this? What problem is it trying to solve? At the end of the day, voters need to have a voice, but they also need to know that their voice is, uh, is well educated around the issue that they're voting around. Uh, this bill essentially allows for absolute clarity around referendum. And it also allows us to be able to have transparency around uh, any special interests that are dedicating so much, so many resources, financial dollars to be able to get their point of view across. And finally, what it does is it, it actually limits the ways in which some special interest groups can essentially, with a referenda, delay legislation. Uh, often, if uh, a group finds that they it is within their corporate interest or financial interest to put forward, to get signatures, to be able to authorize a, a referendum, what they're essentially doing is delaying good law and uh, with this process. So it also mm. allows voters to be able to get to quicker resolution around legislative action. But 421 in its original form was far more sweeping. It established lots of new government oversight over signature collection, for example, and mandated that at least 10% of petition signatures be obtained by unpaid volunteers. It also had much more robust rules around disclosures of groups who are funding referendum campaigns. Why was that taken out? Who watered this down? I can't speak to that at all. Uh, I am the co-author of this bill, and uh, and a lot of that happens, um, you know, as the legislative process goes on. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the core of this bill, the essence of this bill, is that it affords greater transparency around who financial interests are in any particular referenda. It makes sure to just really get at the heart of the issue of allowing people clarity around what their vote is uh, by having to say keep the law or overturn the law and ultimately it also ensures that we have the ability to not have uh, our voter energy and attention be still uh, hampered when uh, the parties are using referenda to um, for their own benefit, mm. as opposed to voter, uh, yeah. to, to voter conference. I know you weren't deep in the trenches when this was being negotiated, but I do wonder <laughs> if you could just give us your general impressions as to why these provisions dropped out of the final bill. I think at the end of the day, every piece of legislation goes through a process of refinement. And what I'm very excited about with this legislation and uh, Majority Leader Brian leading us in this piece of legislation is it, it gets at the heart of the matter. 
Um, and uh, and it's a very strong uh, set of reforms that haven't been in place for the hundred years uh, that referendum referenda have been in existence. And it's going to change the way that we use um, these referendums moving forward. Well, it sounds like from the PPIC poll in June that these stronger measures that were taken out of the bill were actually popular with likely voters that they surveyed. Are you or others planning to reintroduce any of those reforms? I think there's always an opportunity to make sure that voters have a stronger, clearer, more transparent voice. And, and, that there, and there were certainly uh, very positive measures uh, that were put on the table in the, uh, in the initial stages of this bill. Uh, I think this legislature is committed to making sure that voters have a strong voice. So I wouldn't put it past any of us to make sure that we have an opportunity to revisit some of those issues. State Assemblymember Mia Bonta, representing the 18th Assembly District in the East Bay and co-author of AB 421. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Guy Marzarati, a reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Guy, thanks so much for coming on. Of course. Good morning. Also, thanks for hosting for me earlier this week. Oh, yes. Pleasure. <laughs> so talk a little bit about this uh, reform bill. I understand Newsom could sign it any day. Any reason he wouldn't, given how modest it actually is? No, I don't think so. And I think, uh, you know, to your conversation with the Assemblymember Bonta, there's been parts of this that have been stripped out through the process. And so I think what's, you know, what's left and and what's uh, going before the governor is, is kind of urgent given that we have these more referendums coming before voters in, in November of 2024. And the reason I say that is I think perhaps the most important provision in this is the ability for referendums to be removed mm. from the ballot. We've seen we can talk about the effect that's had on the initiative system in California, allowing initiative proponents to negotiate with the legislature, eventually in some cases take their measures off the ballot even after they've gotten enough signatures. This would now put that on the referendum process. So you could potentially, if this is signed into law now, end up in a scenario where there's negotiations happening in the legislature over the next year, maybe to avoid some of these costly ballot campaigns. Well, can you just talk a little bit about some of the recent state laws that gave rise to this push for reform? I mentioned in the billboard AB 257, known as the Fast Recovery Act. Was that one of the reasons? Yeah, so this, uh, exactly, this was a law passed last year. It would have created this council to set wages, to set working conditions for fast food workers. So the law was passed, it was signed, but then it was blocked by a qualified referendum. But this actually goes back even a few years. I mean, this has been a growing trend. We've seen referendums qualify recently to block bail reform, to block a ban on flavored tobacco. Yeah. I think the really the key thing to remember with these referendums is the fact that even if they fail, businesses have basically bought themselves two more years of business, two more years of profits as usual, because the laws are frozen in time once that referendum qualifies. That's a really good point. And there was another one related to new oil wells. This is SB 1137, which tried to regulate or create buffer zones um, between new oil wells and schools, homes, daycares, Right. This was also signed by Newsom last year, um, you know, trying to protect those so-called sensitive locations uh, from new oil wells being uh, put in place. 
backed by largely environmental justice groups worried, obviously, about the effects of having oil production so close to residents. Um, almost immediately, the campaign started to halt this, to, to overturn it with a rent referendum. Opponents got the, you know, more than 550,000 signatures they needed. And now this law is also on hold until, you know, voters potentially weigh in on it next year. So who is opposed to this new bill trying to at least start the reform process of the referendum? Um, AB 421, who opposes AB 421 and why? Well, we've seen business uh, groups come out against this. And I mean, look, in a legislature in which Democrats have now had basically a half decade of supermajority control, I think going to the ballot, whether it's with initiative or in this case referendum, uh, is a more attractive option at times for businesses. And they're going to resist changes that could potentially make passing referendums harder. Opponents also raise kind of an interesting argument. It, it might end up being a legal argument about the rephrasing of referendums on the ballot. So the way it is now, voters are basically asked to put themselves in the shoes of the state legislature. The policy is listed on the ballot and you vote yes if you want to enact it, no if you don't. Um, now, with the changes, it's basically that the options are going to be keep the law or replace it. Opponents say that's kind of twisting the point of referendums or maybe twisting the role that voters play in the referendum process. That might end up being something potentially uh, that's litigated. Hmm. We're talking with Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. We're talking about Referendum reform and initial attempts to do that. We talked with Assemblymember Mia Bonda earlier, who co-sponsored an initial attempt, co-author of AB 421, which is sitting on Governor Newsom's desk. And I'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Do you think our referendum process needs to be reformed? Do you think it has become too much of a corporate tool and needs to be changed? Or do you think it's a useful way to keep our lawmakers in check? Do you find referenda difficult to understand sometimes with the language or confusing? Or maybe you have thoughts about the way signatures are gathered to get referenda on the ballot. Email forum at kqed.org. Call us at 866-733-6786 or post on our social channels at KQED Forum. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's referendum process. For more than 100 years, California has been practicing its own unique form of direct democracy under a system that asks voters to decide on a bevy of referenda, initiatives, and so on every election cycle. And they're usually big laws that uh, the state 
has the state legislature has passed and the governor has signed. A bill on Governor Newsom's desk aims to reform the referendum process, and we're asking you, our listeners, to weigh in on your thoughts on it. And you have, Noel on Discord writes, the referendum process has gotten away from its original intent, taking power away from the powerful. Witness what happened when Uber used the initiative process to overturn worker protection laws. I now refuse to sign referendum petitions outside stores or events because there's not enough time to consider what the initiatives really are about. I'd like to bring into the conversation now Kim Alexander, president and founder of the California Voter Foundation. Kim, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Mina. Great to join you. So as much as voters uh, think, or at least in Noel's case, feels that reform is necessary, the ability to be able to reject or affirm a law passed by the state legislature is popular, right? It sounds like it from a recent PPIC poll. Yes, PPIC has been surveying voters in California for many years about how they feel about direct democracy and and ballot measures, and voters continue to overwhelmingly support their access to make laws directly through the ballot. Yeah, I think I saw eight in 10 California voters and that this was across party lines saying that it was a good thing. Does this surprise you at all? No, I mean, this is a reform that California leaders fought for and won over 100 years ago with uh, Governor Hiram Johnson. It was a way to try to get around the special interest control of the legislature that we saw um, during the 1880s, during the railroad baron era. And, you know, that was the idea was to put the the power back into the hands of the people. And, and I think voters really relish that power I think people take it really seriously as well. You know, I I also believe voters find the process very intimidating and complicated and frustrating. So I think voters have a lot of feelings about this process, both good and bad. But overall, it's the kind of thing like, you know, you can criticize it all you want, but you're still going to love it. You know, don't take it away from me is sort of Hmm. the attitude I think a lot of voters have. Yeah. Well, there was also a finding that three quarters of voters say the language used in referendum is too confusing. What is the impact of when it is confusing on voters? Well, I fear that the impact is it keeps people from wanting to vote at all. You know, people don't like to do things they feel they're not good at. And voting is challenging. You know, it takes a lot of time and investment of energy to go through your ballot and make those choices. And if you're working your way through all the local and and state and federal offices you need to vote on, and then you get to ballot measures and poor voters and San Francisco always have this huge number of local measures in addition to the state measures. And it can really be overwhelming. You know, the ballot pamphlet you get from your county elections office and the secretary of state can start to feel like a phone book. And people just sometimes throw their hands up and say, I don't want to do this at all. And I'm constantly reminding voters that it's not a test. You don't have to have an answer for every question on the ballot. You can skip the contests that you don't feel confident voting in. But I think a lot of people don't realize that. And they think that, you know, they they don't want to make a choice that they find out later was the opposite of what they believed or what their interests are. And so sometimes people will just sit it out altogether. Well, Ron writes, I'd like there to be much fewer measures to spend time studying, either by limiting how many are on the ballot or by a secure random process that selects which measures each voter can vote on. What is your advice if people are feeling overwhelmed uh, by measures that they don't fully understand or just the sheer number? Yeah, I mean, I 
I think it's really important to give voters shortcuts. And we've done a lot of reforms in recent years. And this this bill, AB 421, would provide some additional reforms to give voters some shortcuts to help them make informed choices. The reality is you don't need encyclopedic knowledge of everything on the ballot to make an informed choice. You need to know who are the top donors for and against this measure, who are the supporters and opponents for and against this measure. And voters are going to find starting in the 2024 election that the supporters and opponents of each measure, uh, each initiative measure will be listed on in the ballot label itself on their ballot. So there's going to be more information there right in front of voters when they're making these choices. And I do think this change in the language that's proposed in AB 421 is also going to help make this process a little less complex when voters are voting on referenda because it's a not it's a counterintuitive vote. You know, sometimes you're going down the ballot and you say, I'm just going to vote no on everything because I'm I'm uncertain. Well, you get to referenda and that that process doesn't work. Suddenly a no vote means yes and a yes vote means no. So I think yes. this wording change will will definitely help. Hmm. We're talking with Kim Alexander, president and founder of the California Voter Foundation, and with Guy Marzarati, correspondent and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Do you enjoy parsing voter information about referenda? Do you find it difficult or too burdensome to make decisions about how to vote on them? What would help? Maybe you have thoughts about the way in which signatures are gathered to qualify for the ballot, or whether you tend to sign petitions when you're approached. Do you think the overall referendum process needs to be reformed? Are you concerned that it's become too much of a corporate tool? Or do you think we definitely need to keep it as a useful tool to keep lawmakers in check? And you can join us by calling 866-733-6786, posting on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, Twitter, at KQED Forum, by emailing forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Joe in Santa Rosa. Hi, Joe. You're on. Hello, thanks for having me. A couple of comments. First of all, in terms of making things fairer, one of the suggested improvements I would make would be that the writing of the title for a referendum or initiative and the summary description be taken away from the attorney general, who is an elected official, who may or may not have a bias in certain ways towards how it should be written, and put with an independent commission or independent group of people who go out of their way to make it a very easy to understand, fair representation of what was being voted upon. That's number one. And then number two, the voting, the signature requirements should be reduced. They're too onerous right now. They allow people with money to get whatever they want on the ballot, but those people without money, no way to do so. So the number of signatures that should be collected should be reduced Hmm. and the time allowed for signature collection should be extended, especially for initiatives. Not so much for referendums, but especially for initiatives. Those are my two suggestions. Hmm. Well, Joe, thanks. I wanted to get, what do you think, Kim, about Joe's suggestions? I think those are interesting that, you know, others have made those before. Um, His comment about having the attorney general involved is something that has come up numerous times. And, you know, my thought about the initiative process and and the way I see the legislature interacting with it is, you know, they sort of have a... um, uh, we have to tolerate it approach to the initiative process. And they often will see it as something that's countering what they're doing. So there's really no advocate in the political sphere for the initiative process. And that's why it sometimes it gets, you know, banged up a little bit in the legislative process. And this example that Joe gave of wanting to to take the power away from the AG and give it 
to an independent commission has come up many times before. And unfortunately, as Guy Maserati mentioned earlier, you know, we have a supermajority in the legislature that prevents those kinds of ideas from being pushed forward. So you see more reforms that are uh, politically favorable, but maybe not the most policy oriented reforms. Well, in 2014, California did adopt some new rules to, I believe, I guess, I think this was on the level of ballot language being easier to understand as part of, as part of the Ballot Initiative Transparency Act. And this was signed into law by Governor Jerry Brown. I'm curious, Kim, you know, what you think of those reforms, how effective they've been. You know, I think it's been an interesting process to watch. A lot of people still aren't quite aware of how this works, but you have a process now where the public can be more involved in measures as they get introduced and make comments that that make it clear if there's strong opposition for a measure before it goes into circulation, before you spend all that money. Um, this sort of actually reflects some of what Joe was suggesting, having more people involved in this process and trying to de- depower the role of money by giving people a voice early on. And the the advantage of the Ballot Initiative Transparency Act, there's a couple of them. One is that if you can have a strong showing of opposition to a measure early on through the attorney general's process of submitting public comments, it can cause a proponent to back down and say, well, wait a minute, you know, there's going to be too much opposition to my idea. Um, you also see people being able to gauge whether an initiative measure is serious or not, because they have to provide an update when they get to 25% of their signatures collected. And, you know, a lot of people historically have taken out papers to circulate initiatives, and they don't really have any intention of getting anything on the ballot. And that's made the process really clogged up. So I think that it did increase the, we have increased the the filing fee that's taken some of the creative initiatives out of the mix and the, the non-serious ones. And then I think this process does give more people a way to be engaged in the process early on before you just are waiting to see what pops out and ends up on the ballot. Yeah. Guy, with regard to the signature gathering process, Joe has some thoughts on it. It was interesting, though, that, you know, some of the provisions of the original um, referendum reform bill included things like at least 10% of signatures be gathered by unpaid volunteers. And that was popular with people who were surveyed on PPIC. Can you just talk a little bit about signature gathering, a little bit of the history around reform proposals being put forward before and really not getting very far? Yeah, I mean, it's an industry like you, you know, you go outside a supermarket uh, at that time of year when when ballot measures are rolling out, you're going to be, you know, likely stopped by someone trying to get something on the ballot. And those are in the cases of these large campaigns, paid signature gatherers. I think, you know, there have been concerns. And I think, to your point, similar efforts have been vetoed in the past to curtail that practice. But I guess concerns about creating too many barriers to direct democracy if you are going to limit the ability to pay signature gatherers, mm-hmm. perhaps legal challenges as well. You know, if courts were to view payments to signature gatherers as political speech. Um, but there's no doubt that well-funded campaigns are able to use this process often to expedite how they get things on the ballot. I mean, as you get closer to deadlines of qualifying initiatives, the price will literally go up for campaigns to have to pay signature gatherers to hit the streets. And if you're you know, a well-funded campaign, whether that's a, a business-backed campaign or a labor-backed campaign, they're able to do that uh, in order to get their initiatives on the ballot. 
Well, Jeffrey has some swappings. Jeffrey writes, simple band-paying petition signature collections collectors. These people lie through their teeth to get signatures and have zero interest in the promotion of citizens' democracy. Another listener, Greg, tweets, while I like the idea behind the referendum process, it feels like it's been hijacked. I'd like a sunset provision for voter-approved referendums, and after 25 years, the legislature would have to make them permanent. Wish our legislators did their jobs and didn't need the process. Another listener, Wendy, sort of along similar lines, writes, having lived in places where there is no initiative process or referenda, I would say that the referenda process allows legislators to be lazy. They don't do their work, allowing the voters to make decisions on issues they don't have the information on. I also believe that when voters have too many issues to vote on, they may throw their hands up and just opt not to vote. I believe this is very harmful. Kim, your thoughts on Wendy's view that it kind of gives legislators a pass. Well, they're busy passing lots of bills right now. So I, I wouldn't say that they're, you know, not hard at work. I think that there are issues that they won't take on because sometimes they're too hot and you have to turn to the initiative process in those situations. I also want to just point out that um, another reform that has occurred, even though we haven't restricted paid signature gathering, we do require now under state law the funders of initiative petition campaigns to be disclosed and listed on the initiative petition itself. And so mm-hmm. voters do have access to that information. But, you know, I think it's important to keep the bigger picture in mind here, which is that voters actually trust lawmakers much more than they trust each other when it comes to direct democracy. They are more likely to uh approve measures that the legislature puts on the ballot. On average, two out of three legislative measures get approved. And it's much more difficult to pass an, an initiative. It's it's easy to defeat one if you have enough money. But a lot of voters uh, you know, take the approach of, I'm going to vote no unless you convince me otherwise. And they don't look at voting on ballot measures as you know, a public opinion poll, they realize that they're involved in lawmaking and they do take it seriously. I've, I've constantly been surprised and proud of California voters for the wisdom that they've shown uh, at, at the ballot box when it comes to voting on measures. If you look down, you know, the years at, at the history of the measures, I mean, there I don't agree with everything that the voters passed, but I don't really think that there's a case where someone has passed something that the voters later uh, were like, wait a minute, that's not what we thought that that was. So maybe on an individual basis, that happens quite a bit. But collectively, I think our voters manage to figure this out. They help each other. They look for reliable resources. They come to our website at calvoter.org. And you know what? I probably will write a song for 2024 because I think this this ballot will need one. (laughs) You can send it to us, Kim, when you do. But I I do wonder if you think that the new rule requiring the top three donors on a referendum be disclosed on the voter information guide is enough. Reform advocates want to see more. There's pushback. Like, Just curious, Kim, where you land on that. Yeah, I think this is a case where it's a good start, but it's not enough. It doesn't give voters the whole picture. I think people will be wondering, why am I seeing the funders who are supporting this referendum, but I'm not seeing the opponents? Um, they, they're going to wonder, why am I not seeing the top funders for initiative measures on the ballot or constitutional amendments or bonds that are on the ballot. So I think it could could lead to some confusion, but I hope that it will 
you know, be the start of something new. I mean, we've pushed very hard over the years at the California Voter Foundation, along with many others, uh, first to require online disclosure way back in the 1990s, which California pioneered along with the initiative process. And and then we got the law changed to require the Fair Political Practices Commission and the Secretary of State to maintain top 10 donors lists. And those are online and voters can and do use those resources to help them do that homework that they need to do. Um, I'd like to see some of that printed in the ballot pamphlet and really the the limitations are around the timing. Um, one reason why this disclosure in the pamphlet works for referenda is they're focused on who paid to qualify it for the ballot. And in fairness to the author uh, and the proponents of AB 421, a referendum is really different from a ballot measure in terms mm-hmm. of proponents and opponents. There, it represents a fight that already took place in the legislature. So we know who supported it and opposed it when it was a bill. And it'd be great if that information could be folded into the the ballot analysis more as well. Yeah. And it is worth, as you have done, to talk about the difference between a referenda and an initiative, a referendum and an initiative. And and also, Guy, just to remind us that 421 really only applies to referendum at this point, the, the reforms that are listed there, right? But could it also spread to initiatives? Well, it's actually, I think, following up on some of the changes that were made to the initiative system. And I mean, you mentioned that 2014 law that really you know, really reshaped uh, how initiatives are uh, moved through the calendar, the electoral calendar, by giving that window to to take an initiative off the ballot, even after it's qualified. And we've seen that, you know, the I think the intention was this could be a way kind of a pressure valve, like, you know, avoid a really nasty or expensive campaign, find some common ground and negotiate to take something off the ballot. We've seen that with, you know, digital privacy laws just last year, uh, something regarding recycling, where the legislature was able to come to an agreement and the backers of the initiative said, okay, we're going to take this off the ballot. The flip side of that is we've also seen some hostage taking along this process where initiatives get qualified and basically pushing the legislature to make a deal that they may have otherwise been uncomfortable with. We're talking with Guy Marzarati, correspondent producer for California's Politics and Government Desk at KQED, Kim Alexander, President and Founder of the California Voter Foundation. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Do you think our referendum process needs to be reformed? Do you have confidence in California's referendum process overall? Do you think that it's become too much of a tool for special interests and needs to be changed? Or do you think it's a useful way to keep our lawmakers in check? What do you think of the language when you read referendum? A referendum or referenda. What do you think about the signature gathering process when you're approached? Tell us after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's referendum process, and you, our listeners, are weighing in. 866-733-6786 is the number of the email address forum at kqed.org. And you can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. Let me go to Tile in San Francisco. Hi, Tile. You're on. Hi. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it just seems like the process is very onerous for voting on referendums and all of the ballot measures. And I know I heard like phone book thrown out there. And I take a lot of pride and put a lot of effort into educating myself on the measures that are put forth and it's still confusing and so it's it's almost concerning to me because I'm sure that most people I mean I'm not sure of that but I think a lot of people probably don't put in the time and I like the the comment earlier about you know you don't have to vote on everything but it's just it's a lot so Mm -hmm. that was awesome Dial, I don't think you're alone. Thanks for sharing that. Let me go to Tom in San Leandro. Hi, Tom. You're on. Yeah, hi. Um, I'd like to tag team with that comment and observe that the um, a lot of the way the summaries are written when um, they're getting signatures are not what is actually in the measures when you read them. And it would be nice to see people not trying to fool consume, you know, the electorate to get signatures. Tom, thanks. Also getting some comments along those lines as well. Let me go to Winston in Oakland. Hi, Winston. You're on. Hey, Mina. So earlier in the program, when you first had your guest on, Kim, she, the two of you were talking about how some there has been some change to make the ballot initiatives when they're on the ballot um, more easier to understand. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you really spelled out how they will be easier to understand. Can you elaborate on how they're going to look different on the ballot, if oh. indeed they will look different? Sure, sure. Thanks, Winston. Um, so, Kim, we were talking a little bit about the Yes, no versus the keep, right, or uh, or get rid of law, right, or language. Could you just talk a little bit about the difference and why with referendum this kind of thing is so important that essentially, you know, it's keep the law or overturn the law under AB 421 as opposed to the yes or no choices? Y- yes, absolutely. There's actually two changes to the ballot that this bill would impact that voters will see. One is that first change you just described, Mina, which is when you vote on a referendum, you are, the proponents are asking you to undo a law. And so historically, you're given a a yes or no choice. And so when you vote on an initiative, you're voting yes or no, I want this initiative, or I don't want it. When you get to a referendum, you've historically been voting on do I want to keep this law? That's a yes vote. Or do I want to get rid of it? That's a no vote. What's weird about referenda is that the proponents of a referendum want you to vote no. So it's like really counterintuitive. Um, And all of us that work in voter education and the media struggle every election to try to explain what a yes and a no vote mean on a referenda because it's counterintuitive. So this change would just for state measures, not local measures, it's not affecting that wording, but for a state referendum on the statewide ballot, it would say, 
if you uh, want to keep the law, you would vote to keep the law. And if you want to overturn the law, you vote to overturn the law. So I think that's clear. The other big change that's coming, um, which this bill uh, recodifies and makes a, mo- a, a modest change to, but a bill that was passed in 2022 um, now requires, it's AB 1416. And that bill requires that initiatives and referenda have the supporters and opponents who are listed in the ballot arguments in the voter information guide named on the ballot itself. And so there is a process that will have to be undertaken through the Secretary of State's office to identify the top three supporters and opponents. These aren't necessarily funders. These are the people, the organizations, and people who signed the ballot arguments uh, in the ballot pamphlet. And that will now be on the ballot itself. So it's going to make our ballots longer, but I do think that that additional information is going to help voters who are struggling get easy access to that shorthand information I was talking about, the shortcut you can take uh, to to make a more confident and informed decision about each measure. Thanks, Winston. Let me go to Cynthia next. Hi, Cynthia, you're on. Thank you. Um, I wanted to say that um, democracy or our form of government uh, requires uh, a well-informed public. And so I do take the time, uh, and it does take time, but I'm proud to do it. I take the time to read uh, the ballot measures and to read various um, uh, opinions and to get uh, both sides of the um, argument. I, uh, I also find that the summaries are somewhat helpful. You know, there's the pros and cons uh, on the state measures. And uh, I just think it's a civic responsibility. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in the opposite, which would be a type of autocratic uh, government. So I think it's to everyone's uh, benefit that we share in this uh, shared res- res- responsibility. Thank you. Yeah, well, Cynthia, thank you. You know, along those lines, Guy, review for us, if you would, what's on the statewide ballot so far, some of the key things that you want us to have on our radar. Yeah, so right now there's two constitutional amendments that have qualified for the March ballot, and then we have seven measures on the November ballot. That's actually going to change. Those March measures are going to move to November uh, over the course of the next week or so. Um, I think, look, there's going to be, I guess maybe we can start with the March uh, primary ballot. There's nothing currently going to be on there right now, but there's two things happening in the legislature that could end up before voters uh, in March. One is the governor is pushing to reform the way mental health gets funded in California. He wants to have more of the money uh, that comes through a tax on, on wealthy Californians go to housing. I think he looks at kind of the crisis on our streets, our homelessness crisis, sees a real link with mental health and wants more mental health money spent on housing. Now, opponents, there's been a lot of controversy over this. Opponents say that's going to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul and take away from uh, funding for preventative uh, mental health screenings or for kids. The second um, thing that could end up on March is actually being pursued by Democrats in the legislature right now. And this is part of a complicated fight over uh, ballot measure thresholds and and passing local taxes. I'll try to break this down as succinctly as possible. But business groups have qualified a measure for the November 2024 ballot that would make it harder to pass taxes in the future. It would say any tax increase 
uh, for this that the state legislature puts forward would have to go before voters. It would also make any local tax increase have to be passed by two thirds if it's a ballot measure. So. Uh, you know, a lot of local governments uh, and the unions that represent local government employees are freaked out about this. I mean, this would really make it a lot more difficult to raise revenue for police, fire, local services, things like that. In response, the Democratic legislature is trying to preempt that, put something on the March ballot saying, if you want to make a change in the future to the thresholds to pass taxes, your ballot measure has to pass by that threshold. So it would basically make it harder for that November ballot measure to pass. It would have to pass by two thirds. This is again an example of something that because of the changes that you talked about to the initiative system uh, about a half decade uh, or so ago, maybe a decade now, um, this could be worked out before November. And I think you are kind of seeing an arms race in this space uh, that perhaps could lend itself to some kind of compromise where these measures get get taken off the ballot. But the window is kind of closing for that. And so I think this is going to be just a really expensive fight between Democrats and kind of the business uh, the business world in California, both on the March and November ballot. <laughs> Hope that all made sense. Well... <laughs> Uh, Elaine writes, my hope is that I won't be asked to vote on kidney dialysis again this coming election. (laughs) The issue has been on the ballot many times, and it is an example of an initiative that causes people to just throw up their hands. Uh, Andy writes, I feel like California's ballot initiative process has been hijacked by business special interests. How often have we been asked to vote about kidney dialysis clinics or ambulance drivers (laughs) lunch breaks? These are issues that should be covered by regulatory law not by popular vote. This is not what the referendum process was intended for. I'll, and I'll Jeff, just say, yeah, in, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, in, in fairness, Andy, the, those initiatives on dialysis, dialysis were pushed by organized labor on the ballot. So it, you do see this kind of both ways. You see uh, labor groups, you know, going to the ballot for things like minimum wage or workplace conditions. Um, those are also powerful pol- political entities in California that have the ability to bring measures onto the ballot. Yes, actually. And, and when you do take the time to dig in, you realize just how interesting um, and nuanced those ballot measures are. Jeff on Facebook writes, the basic problem with the California referendum system is that it's not truly democratic. In a true democracy, proposals are made and they are then refined through an amendment process. In the referendum system, a special interest puts forward a proposal and the citizens of the state can either vote it up or down. There is no opportunity to refine the proposal. It looks like a democratic system, but it is not a truly democratic process. It is simply citizens voting in favor or against proposals from special interests. What do you think of that, Kim? Well, we actually do have a little bit of a way to refine initiatives Mm -hmm. now through that Ballot Initiative Transparency Act. And we have seen, for example, there was a measure where the governor sort of gave a signal about how he felt in those early stages and the proponents before they went out for signatures, um, were able to adjust the language so that the governor wasn't going to oppose their measure. So it has become a little bit iterative in a way the legislative process is, but certainly not robust that way. And I I think, I mean, your listeners, obviously, a lot of really thoughtful people listen to Forum and KQED um, because, you know, they share the sentiments um, that I think reflect the concerns of of citizens and people who really want to make informed choices. I do think that, you know, what we're seeing 
with our direct democracy in California in recent years are these political fights in the legislature spilling over onto the ballot. And the voters, you know, if you don't know that backstory, like that guy has been providing us during this hour, you know, you really don't understand the context for why you're even being asked to vote on something in the first place. And that's where I do worry that voters are just feeling more and more, even those of us who really do our homework, want to make informed choices, we're left really not understanding why these these policies aren't being dealt with in the legislature, which would be a lot better for everyone. And in that spirit, I mean, one of the things that I've thought about over the years we could consider changing with our initiative process is to add the choice to the ballot to say, I don't know. So people could vote yes or vote no, or they could essentially abstain. And I think that would give us at least a much clearer picture of whether something that passes or fails really reflects the will of all the voters or just some of the voters. Hmm. Well, let me thank our listeners and remind them that you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. You know, it's interesting, Guy, hearing or reading Jeff's comment, the PPSC poll found that 96% of Californians think that the referendum process is controlled a lot or some by special interest groups. But at the same time, the same poll found that they really want to keep the power to vote on referenda. Do you see those things as conflicting? No, I think maybe it's an acknowledgement of, uh, as as Kim has laid out, kind of the astuteness of California voters. They yeah. they know the involvement of special interests in this process, but I think ultimately like the fact that they get to make the decision on what's before them. And I think this plays into why you see such a desire for disclosure and that kind of information appearing on the ballot, because I think in the context of ballot measures, you don't have a lot of the signals that you get uh, in a in a campaign between two candidates, right? Ballot measures can't speak. They don't have faces. They don't have uh, personalities. And a lot of the information voters are getting is through television ads. And so I think being able to see those financial backers and having worked on a lot of voter guides over the years, like that's something I do think voters have a hunger for because there you're really getting the characters or I guess kind of the, the people behind these initiatives uh, rather than just the Prop 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 uh, campaign in front of you. Let me go to Henry in Richmond. Henry, you're on the line. Join us. Thank you. Uh, my comment is uh, I like the idea of yes means yes and no means no on the language. But from what I've been hearing, that's only for referendum, referenda. And uh, the other ballot issues will be the same. Uh, so you, I usually just decide that uh, which is which. Yeah. And the TV ads, the, the ones that are screaming about yes, I vote no. Uh, also, mm-hmm. I am so angry that the legislature is not doing its job. The example was the uh, 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 the uh, plastics uh, initiative last year. Mm. And the compromise was take the thing off the ballot. Well, that's because the legislature capitulated and went along with the special interest. What the hell do we have a Democratic state legislature for if they're not going to vote for the people? We wouldn't need this referendum system if they did their job. Well, Henry, again, some comments along those lines, some frustration at our lawmakers. Another listener, Michael, tweets, the actual texts of the laws are intimidating. My neighbor told me he just looked to see who supported the measure and who opposed them. Rob writes, I vote no on many measures as a way to vote against too many measures. 
Though, except with a referendum, you may be voting to undo a law that you like, Rob, as uh, Kim is pointing out. Eileen tweets, If it's legal, I would like to ban corporations from placing pro-business measures on the ballot. Also prohibit measures that are double negative. Those are the worst. Hmm. I'm curious, Kim, what is the correlation, if we have one, or what degree, to what degree does the amount of money behind an initiative correlate with its success? Well, I'm glad you brought up money, Mina, because that is really the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Um, you know, we we run an election process that is based on money, and everyone who runs for office has to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to get into the legislature. If you want to get a measure on the ballot, you need to raise well over a million, several million dollars just to qualify um, to run a statewide campaign in California it requires TV time, which is extremely expensive. So it is all about the money. And um, it does warp the system in ways that you you would expect. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we've worked for the California Voter Foundation, we've made lots of reforms in California, along with uh, our Fair Political Practices Commission and the Secretary of State's office to require that there be truth in committee naming. Uh, so when you see an ad on TV in California, you see the name of the committee that paid for the ad. And if it's a mom and apple pie name, they have to list the top two funders to the committee so they can't hide behind a committee name. And I think that sort of truth in advertising is a real benefit to California voters and does give us at least a fighting chance of being able to drill down and make those informed choices. And I have no problem with people you know, rifling through their voter information guide just to see who signed the, the ballot measure arguments. I do that myself. Um, I, I think it's fine to use shortcuts. I really also encourage people to have ballot parties, get together with your friends. People have started doing these on Zoom. Each person can take on an initiative or ballot measure and do the homework for the group. And if you get people with lots of different opinions together, you can really learn from each other. If there's someone who you always disagree with and they're going to vote no on something, you might be like, oh, I'm going to vote yes. Um, there's So there's lots of ways that voters are getting creative to try to help each other out to make these informed choices. Yeah, well, Sean writes, it doesn't help me to know that some pack called Citizens Concerned About Democracy funds a measure. It still seems too easy to hide who funds a measure. So, yeah, maybe those ballot parties would help. Kim Alexander, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. And Guy Marzarati as well. Always glad to have you on, too. Yes, have a great weekend. And listeners love hearing from you as well. This Hour Forum was produced by Susie Britton, Caroline Smith, and Grace Warner. Also producers, Ashley Eng was our engagement producer this week. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo was our digital community producer, while Francesca Fenzi is away. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Emiko Oda. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Catherine Monahan also helped out with engineering this week. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening to Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.